Hey guys, this is Real Estate Ra. My name is Chris Webb with Keller Williams Realty here with my two co-hosts, Sarah Catalina, also with Keller Williams Realty. Good morning. And Wes Covert with Citywide Home Loans. Happy freaking New Year. Happy New Year and happy 49er Day. Oh, wow. Just wanted to throw that out there. It didn't take long. It took like four seconds to get the 49ers in. Oh, yeah. Not, well, we're going to the Super Bowl, dude. This week's not going to be even a contest, I don't think. I think the Packers are just going to smash on them. Sarah could give two craps less. Wes, the Packers are going to smash on who? We're gonna, no, I said that we're going to p- smash on the Packers. No, you said the Packers are going to smash on. Did I really? Yeah, oh, you did. Well, we'll edit that out. Okay. No, we're, we're leaving it. The are going to we're leaving it. smash on the Packers. Um so I did go to the game, the game last weekend, by the way, as yes. you know, and that was the most exciting 49er game I've ever been to. And I've been to about 10. Oh my that was gosh. crazy. It was That's, a crazy environment. That is pretty awesome. I could, I know I, I listened to a bunch of it, uh, the sportscasters afterwards and they were talking that were at the game. Um, and they were talking about that. It was very electrifying. It was the very, was very loud. Um, Kirk Cousins couldn't even like he had his hands on his helmet, right. barely able to hear most of the time. So. The coolest part, not that you want to want it to be cool when somebody gets hurt, but when Bosa got hurt, and then and he, he got, went down, and then, and then he jumped up, but the crowd was just yelling Bosa, 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 and, <laughs> the, and then when he jumped up, it was like freaking WWE or is it WWE or F now? I, I don't even know. WWE. What's professional wrestling? What is that? WWE. There you go. So that's what it was like. I, I watched this little video that they edited. And it showed, um, it did the Undertaker music when he got up. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the, I can the, see that. You know, like the ball, the, the bong. Mm-hmm. And then he just like rose up. Oh, it was hilarious. Wow. Dude, and look how sad Sarah looks today. I know. It's, Sarah's just like, really? She's guys? mad because she's the outcast here. She's not She's not part of the fam. I'm not part of the fam. She's not related. I bet we can find somebody else that's related somewhere down the line. <laughs> my yeah. Be my guest. All they have to do, look, is Please. be really good at criticizing us. <sighs> Um, be really good at pointing out all our flaws. And Only because I haven't done any talking at all. It's you. Not yet. You're waiting for it. You already... We have time. I don't mind. I'm not even going to tell everybody what you already said about me. Fifty Shades of Grey. Wes has on a gray <laughs> sweater. I have an gray, orange watch. Gray pants and gray shoes. Let me see your socks. They're blue. If it wouldn't, if it wasn't for your bright red face, we would we would think that you, you're you're a walking 50s TV show. I don't even know what that means. How is that funny? In black and white. Oh, God. Dude, this is humorous. Oh, my God. I don't want this to be humorous, but it is smoking in here. Can I take my shirt off? Please don't. I have, <laughs> Please I don't. have an undershirt on. Oh, my God. Please Burn don't. Burn it up. Please don't. Okay. I'm on, I'm on fire anyway. Real estate. Yeah. The whole reason for this podcast. So we've got some real estate discussion. What is today's topic going to be? What are we going to talk about? Well, you guys agreed to to talk about the stages of getting pre-qualified what's why it's important yeah i i mean so there's a lot of people still um that are not homeowners that have absolutely no idea about the home buying process what they would need to do how difficult it is most people are still under the impression that it's very difficult to buy a home um so we'll kind of outline the process what it looks like starting with the getting pre-qualified that's the most important thing is, yeah, it, is that yeah. is that the first question you guys ask whenever? Because generally speaking, the buyers go to you first. Like they see a property online, they call about it, or they call you about it. Mm-hmm. Is that the first question you ask? No. No? You don't even care? No, You're I building a relationship. No, I built a relationship. Okay. First. I want to talk to them first a little bit. Yeah. Shove somebody down their throat. Right. 
Well, I think a lot of times just as eight agents that know the business, you can just having conversations with them and talking to them, you you can pretty much figure out if they're going to be good buyers or not. Come on. Yeah. Really? You can tell just by having conversation and talking if they're going to be good buyers? Unless they're good liars. Well, I mean, there's a lot of them that are. No, you can pretty much tell. I mean, if you start in with, oh, are you pre-qualified already, they're on the defense. Right. Because even if they're not pre-qualified. If that was your first question, right? It doesn't mean they can't get qualified, right? So if that was the first question, that would be a terrible first question. Probably. From your perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't think so. Yeah, because then I feel like the psychology behind that is if if that's the first thing you kind of hit them with. Yeah. There's not really that personal feel, and it's more of like a business feel, and like you don't care. Right. You're just caring about the numbers and about a deal rather than them. Um, so I think it put it would put somebody off fairly quickly, I feel like, um, if you just started off right off the bat with that. I could see that. I, I actually had a, a customer that, that was referred to me the other day, and they were so sure that they wouldn't qualify yeah, just because they, were, a lot of them because they were self-employed. Mm-hmm. One of the borrowers was self-employed, and the other one wasn't. But um, as it turns out, they that that wasn't an issue at all, um, because the other one made enough money to to offset it. Mm-hmm. So th- there are probably a lot of those preconceived notions that we it would be nice it's to scary. get rid of. It's scary to them. They think they're gonna. They think their situation is gonna be something you've never seen before, and you've seen everything. I've seen a lot. Uh huh. I mean, you're not gonna be shocked by bad credit. Right. Collections. These are things that are you see. You know what's interesting about it? If people think that we automatically remember everything also. So like we're exposed to somebody's, you know, all the financial data and how much they make and their credit score and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and when I go to Target, I always run into somebody, right, that is either in the process or, you know, was or pre- getting pre-qualified. And as we're talking about it, I, I can't remember – because I'm numb to it, I don't remember the credit score. You know, I might remember if it's like high or low, but I would never remember the number. Um, and somebody hit me up with that the other day. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. And I don't know if I should know that, if that's something that I should know. But I felt bad that, that I didn't. You almost feel inadequate, right? I've never seen you at Target. Oh my God. Dude. Target. Oh, that's where. I thought you shop online only. You don't leave the house. God, it's office to house. I go to Target. Oh my, I was just there. I was picking up my prescription, by the way. He, he's substituting Target for some other store. No. <laughs> like, I buy a lot of stuff at Target. Baseball cards. Um, I'm kidding. Do people still buy those? No. Um, but anyway, I I don't know if I'm supposed to know that information I don't always because I'm numb to it. Like it, I process it and then I forget about it. I couldn't tell you the income. I couldn't. How could you possibly retain? I don't know. Maybe, but I feel like I'm supposed to. When when it, it, if that's the expectation, I need to to change my approach, right? I need to like I need to make it a big part of what I remember. I guess I don't know. I can't even remember my own credit score. How could I know what? Somebody- that's true. You did ask me again, and I just told you like a week ago. <laughs> yeah. So. So, okay, so let's figure this out. Yeah. So buyer, so buyers that are listening right now. Yes. Do they have to have a bunch of money in the bank to buy a house? Zero. Absolutely not one penny. The only time that the penny is required, no, not the penny, but, you know, a thousand bucks is when they make a deposit. They really need to have a thousand dollars. 
A deposit, what do you mean? The good faith deposit when they write the offer. It isn't kind of important to have that. And then they might get that back, right? There are many occasions where they do. There are some when they don't, but a lot of times they could if it works out that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sarah, so at what point does a good faith deposit... uh, It should be within three days of the offer being accepted. It should be taken to escrow. Okay, so they write an offer on something. It gets accepted. By the time it gets accepted, um, you open escrow, and they take the the $1,000 down there. And And they do cash it. Oh, so yes, they cash there's it. no, I mean, some people say, Hey, they told me they were going to hold it. I'm like, no, no they, they, they cash it. They're not allowed to hold it. Um, it. It's pointless. Right. I mean, the purpose of it is if that ever comes into play later in the yeah. deal, right? If they don't cash it, that's kind of pointless. Sure. And does that thousand dollars, did they just lose it? Is it just a deposit, a non-refundable deposit? Or how does the, how does the EMD no. earnest money deposit there's work? Certain, there's certain loopholes and timeframes that, where buyers and sellers need to perform. So uh, the big one being that, um, well, they're all important, but that a buyer has a 17-day inspection period. And once they are done with those inspections, the reports have been submitted to them for their approval, they have to remove their contingencies. That's when the deposit comes up for grabs if something happens to the deal. How common are you guys really releasing those? Just out of curiosity. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Well, we close, I close most of my deals, so. Right, but do you have them, do you... Oh, you mean prior, before it closes? Yeah. yeah. Never. You never do. So you're supposed never to, what? though. Wait, never what? Oh, remove contingencies or yeah. release deposits? Both. So look, there's no, no, $1,000 no. up up for grabs after 21 <laughs> days, right, or whatever the day... 17. 17 days. That's up for grabs to some extent, assuming... As long as they remove their contingencies. Right. So if I am the listing agent... That's what Athena, my TC, does is within, you know, on that 17-day mark, she reaches out to the selling agent. It's time for your buyer to remove contingencies. And do you require that they do it? Yeah. Every time? Pretty much every time, unless for some reason the seller doesn't want to go through with it. I mean, the next step is if they don't, mm-hmm. right, then we have to do a notice to perform. Well, is the seller really going to right, hold them to it? Hold them to it because if they don't perform... The next step is canceling the deal. So after 17 days, you're also allowing your buyers to give up that deposit, assuming it's a thousand bucks. As long as everything is in, right. inspections are done. They reviewed everything. They, okay. you know, they've done their due diligence. Yeah. Sure. And that thousand dollars doesn't just go to the seller. It yeah. actually just gets credited to to the buyer's total contribution. Correct. However, if they back out of the transaction, then potentially they could lose that thousand dollars potentially but neutral i mean escrow is a neutral third party so both parties have to sign for anything to happen so even if they remove their contingencies the deal cancels and the buyer says no i'm not signing to give that to the seller then the next step would be the seller to have to take them to small or they negotiate or negotiate is that where you wanted this to go web i mean yeah i mean i just so that way a buyer can know like what's up Okay, they have a thousand dollar deposit. I mean, it, the biggest thing is that I think that they need to understand that that goes towards right. whatever they're having to bring in. It's so not an addition. It's not to, an addition it's to. Included. Right. So let's get back to the prequel, though. Yeah. So his question was, well, do they to, need to, to have to sum any that money? up? Though, to sum that up, when a how often does a buyer actually ever lose their deposit? Is oh. it a regular occurrence? No. 
Very rare, right? The only time it would ever happen is if they remove their contingencies and then right before closing or any time after they remove the, their inspection contingencies and they've said, yes, I'm moving forward on this house, then they get cold feet. That's pretty much the only time that they right. could, they because, could lose it. Because typically there's also going to be an appraisal contingency. There's also going to be a loan, loan contingency. contingency. So if for some reason, uh, you know, uh, people typically will keep that loan contingency until the end right. a lot of times. Yeah. Got they it. lost their job or didn't qualify any longer, then that contingency comes into play. Yeah. It's pretty it's 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 extremely I feel like in my my experience it's extremely rare when a seller ever gets a buyer's deposit. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so finish now that that's done. So no, the they deposit. don't need any money. It is does help to have $1000 in the bank to to contribute towards your uh, good faith deposit. Well, what all costs are involved? Like so in, in the home buying process Say, there, where, what all money, um, is required for a loan from the standpoint of a of a lender? Like, what what does the process look like? Say they're not using. There are programs that will pay your down payment. Sure. Um, so, assuming you don't use anything, what actually are the logistics of that? Like, what you have a down payment. Yep. That's three and a half percent if you're FHA. Yep. And as little as three percent if you're conventional and a first-time home buyer. If you're a first-time home buyer and mm-hmm. your credits in the seven hundreds, you can do a three percent down. Right. And if you're not a first-time home buyer and you're going conventional, it's five percent down. Five percent. So those are the minimums, right? And then you have a hundred percent financing on VA, and and USDA rural. Okay. So one source of money that needs to be accounted for in the in a transaction is the down payment, yep. whether that's coming from a buyer or if they're qualifying for a program, the program pays it. Correct. And then the other part is closing costs. Correct. So two sides. So let's assume that it's on an FHA transaction, it's 3.5% for the down payment and then approximately 3% for closing costs, approximately, in a, in a normal transaction. Now, it does vary by purchase price, So on a, or I should say loan amount, but on a $150,000 loan, the closing costs aren't 3%. They're probably closer to 4 Right. Or on a $300,000 loan, they're not quite three. They're probably two and a half. Right. So. Um, Why is that? Because, because some of those fees. There's some static fees. fees. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I mean, the appraisal is always the same. It, it doesn't vary by, by loan amount. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, the escrow fee does a little bit. Um, Very minute changes though, right? Yeah. But. Uh, those are like flat fees. They're not, they're not really necessarily based on purchase the price. Loan amount, it's just. Yeah. Those are escrow fees, right. whether it's a hundred thousand dollar transaction or a four hundred thousand dollar right. transaction. Yeah, so our land, our lender fees. Let, let's let's just say they're fifteen hundred bucks on a hundred fifty thousand dollar loan. That's one percent, right? One percent of the the sale price. So on a three hundred thousand dollar loan, it's half a percent. So there's the variation. Really, I mean that's that's really really what it comes down and to. And how much does it cost to? And, and I'm, I know this, but I'm going to ask you: How much does it cost to to prequal? you charge to pre-qual people? Absolutely zero. And it's even, it's even one above that. So there's, um, the, there's the pre-qualification piece, right? And let's just say somebody doesn't pre-qualify. Maybe they have to like pay off some bills to get their credit score up, right? Paying down some debt. Mm-hmm. We'll do the rescores, meaning that we'll, they'll pay down the debt. We'll take the new statements, submit them to the bureau levels directly to correct their scores, mm-hmm. the buyer can't even pay for that. It's not even allowed. Mm-hmm. So the lender has to absorb the cost on that. Sometimes it can be three, four hundred bucks. Really? Yep. Now there might be some that charge it, but 
they're not supposed to. I, I, I'm not aware of any that do, but I have heard of somebody saying they paid for it before, but they shouldn't. It's not allowed to be paid for. So it literally is a zero cost to to go through that process. Now, if you go to like a credit repair place, yeah, you pay for that. That's completely different. But if we do it internally, um, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. So there's a few different types of buyers. There's <clears throat> There are buyers that have have a bunch of money to put down to do all that. And there's people that don't. Most people don't have $10,000 sitting in the bank or anything like that. Um, For somebody that maybe has bad credit, maybe they're um, in the 500s, but they have money to put down, where where does their credit score need to be to have to meet the, to to only have to come in with 3.5% down? Maybe their credit score is too low for a program to pay their down payment. I'll I'll try to keep it simple because it's going to be the most common approach to to the, the financing part, you're going to do an FHA loan on something like that. And if your score is above 580, a 580 middle credit score, then you're only required to have three and a half percent down. If it's below 580, which goes all the way down to, so between 500 and 580, 579, then you're required to have 10% down. So if, if your 550 credit score and you're selling a house, Maybe you, maybe you inherited a house and you still want to buy another house, but you sell your house and you have some, some money, at least 10% down, you could still, you could still buy a home with a credit score under 580. So you could could pull that off. So if somebody has got a ton of equity in in a house that they own, they're going to sell that. They don't need to have a great credit score. They They can be in the low five, they can have a five, 10 credit score. And if they've got enough equity from they're selling their house and they've got like 20 or 30,000 or they've got at least 10% to put sure. down, they can buy another house at, in, in a low 500 credit score. And this score. is all in theory, assuming that all of the other, they met all or the other just, credit cards. Just credit, yeah. score wise, yeah. credit so score wise. Qualification from a credit score perspective, yes. Okay, so if you're in the low 500s, you need to have 10% down. If you're at a five, at least at a 580, you just need 3.5% down. And then when, at, how low of a credit score What's the lowest credit score that you can have, and then actually, and, and be able to qualify for a first-time buyer program? Six hundred. Okay. Right now, there is a program that will go down to six hundred, and that's fairly new. Like in the last six months, seven months, um, before it was six forty. So, some places six twenty, but six hundred is about as low as you, as low as we can go. There what might about be some VA? other. What's VA credit score? Um, VA doesn't have a minimum credit score by, by VA standards, there are companies that have their own criteria Mm -hmm. that they set for it. So the most common is 640. Some are going to be down to 620. Some literally just don't have any. And so as long as you meet the VA criteria, which is a little more strict, um, then you can in theory, get, get a loan in theory. Okay. Credit score standards. Okay, so there and then and there's several different types of first-time home buyer programs, right? Sure. So, if you have a there's a program at a 600 credit score that you probably wouldn't use if you had a 700 credit score. There are you're open to more programs, other programs that may be, may be more beneficial to you, right. correct? Right. Okay. So so to get the down payment covered in the home buying process, you have either your own money if your credit scores under 600. Or if you're at at least a 600 and you're a first-time buyer, there's a program, many different programs um, that can potentially 
uh, that, that can pay your down payment for you. Correct. And keep in mind that when we mention that, we're talking about the assistance portion of it, it can be in many forms. For the most part, it's, it's a loan. So you do have to pay it back. There are some pieces of it that um, allow for the grants to be gifted. Um, but it's not, generally speaking, it's not just free money given away. Usually there's, mm-hmm. there's some other recourse to, to using that opportunity. So, and which would be, you have to pay it back eventually at some point. Um, but there are some that, that you can get away with just, just grants, but there's also a downside to it. So, um, multiple different ways to approach down payment, uh, when it comes to purchasing a home and, and there's not one set way to do it. And so it, it is, it is important to, from a home buyer's perspective to, to ask as many questions as possible. Um, to, I mean, even like, look, look, the internet's a great source. Um, search the internet, get as much information you can, talk to as many people as you can, um, and ask as many questions. And I would say be aware online because some of the marketing on some of these different programs and information can be deceiving. Sure. Like sometimes they'll show you a really, really low interest rate, but not tell you that the companies, yeah, you can get that interest rate if you pay, you know. $6,000 $6,000 to buy down the rate to that, you know, they don't sure. tell you that part or, you know, you, the qualifications to get a really low uh, interest rate like that is uh, really difficult. And sometimes they don't even, even in the prequal process, they won't even tell you that because they want to get you hooked. They want you to apply and be in the process. And then you're in the middle of the process and they tell you, Oh, sorry, you didn't, you're not going to qualify for that low interest rate. So it's going to be this rate right here. That's half a percent higher or whatever right. it is. And then most people are in the process. So they're just like, ah, screw it. Go ahead. That's fine. Because they don't want to have to restart all over um, and do that. So I would say, be careful looking online. And, and not uh, all lenders do all the programs, they, right? They don't. Um, most of them in this area are, are similarly aligned with what they'll do. Um, in, and there's that, that thing that people say, well, you know, don't, don't repull your credit, um, at all these different places, right. To get pre-approved. I actually say like, it's probably okay. Like I, I encourage you to get as many opinions on the financing as, as you think you should. I mean, it's just like anything else. Generally speaking, you know, if you're going to have surgery, you're going to get more than one opinion in some cases. I mean, it would be wise. I think, um, you may not interview just one agent either, one real estate agent. So it doesn't make sense to just interview one lender either. Um, and what else goes into a prequal besides credit score? Well, that's the primary portion. Um, obviously, the income. Do they have enough income to support it? Right? Um, and that comes in many, many different forms. Uh, it gets a little tricky when, when people have um, side businesses or self-employed um maybe they're they're independent contractors now people are kind of going to that california's changed some laws so that that we may see less of that um but in the the stability of income is 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 super critical so just having the job having great income yeah it's nice but having stability also is probably the piece that most people miss and stability you mean consistently working for long periods of time that is helpful or length of that is helpful which one is it uh well both right i mean we really don't care how long you've been working but we care about how long you've been working at at, say you you make six thousand dollars a month today 
but you just started making that last month. Uh, well, is there really stability there? We don't know. We've got to figure out how you're getting those funds. Is it, is it all overtime? Is it a bonus? Is it, you know, you just had a great run and they were super busy. So stability does come into play. Um, now, if it's a now if it's a job where that's their base salary, mm-hmm. would what do you mean? So, like what you're saying is that six thousand dollars? Maybe they just got a promotion. Sure. Um, so would they? Would that count as that makes it easy? Yeah. yeah. If if it's if the employer will verify, like, hey, they just got a promotion last month. This is their salary. Um, yeah, they made three thousand the month before, but they're promoted, and this is what's expected to go forward. Um, you shouldn't have too much difficulty using that income. What about if they've been going to school, going to college, and now they get and once they are done with school and they get a job, do they have to have a certain amount of work experience or you know time on the job before? They yeah, get that's on? that's common too. Um, and and conventional and FHA have two different ways to look at that. Um, FHA requires that you have a two-year work history mm-hmm. uh, total, not at the same place or at the same job, but just two-year work history, right? They'll allow you to use not high school, but continuation school, college, or, or trade, uh, trade school to, to add to that. That's part of the two-year history. So if you oh. had two years of trade school and all of a sudden you get out and you get a job in that trade, you're not going to have any trouble. Um, if you went to school for six months to be a phlebotomist and you didn't have any prior work history whatsoever, um, if you don't have a two-year history, you're not going to be able to do it FHA. You're going to have to do it conventional. So two different ways to, to look at qualifying for that. It, generally speaking, we say you have to have a two-year work history, but um, you could potentially get away with just you know six months of trade school plus a 30 days on the job with a conventional loan. So okay. th- now, that, that's actually fairly common. People think they have to have two-year history at their same employer and they just, they don't. Right. Does it have to be similar though? It helps. Um, but you know, 15 years ago, that was probably the common, the common thing, right? Everybody's two years, two years, two years. Mm -hmm. It's changed. And, and that whole process of getting pre-qualified has evolved. To me, it's easier than it's ever been quite honestly, because lending is adapted and, um, we're we're able to to do things that we couldn't do ten or fifteen years ago. I mean, we really can today. So to me, it's easier. Okay. Yeah, it's more makes sense. And say so. Say you have some verified income. Um, you've you've their work history. You've looked at their pay stubs or whatever it is, their tax returns, whatever it is that you whatever documents you needed to verify employment and income. So say you do. Now, what do you do with that? Is there like a set debt to income ratio that they need to be at and what what counts against them for debt on their debt to income ratio and what are you doing are you doing like balances on what they owe on stuff or is it just monthly payments like what do you do so they have income they have a good credit score now what what determines the amount they qualify for? it gets a little tricky right because when, when you're talking about what's their debt ratio and what's allowed and what's capped um the tricky part of that is is primarily everybody's information as I'm taking, let's say I'm taking an application, I'm taking their income, their credit, it's going into uh, an automated underwriting system that is going to determine whether or not they qualify or not, right? Mm-hmm. Based on debt ratio. Mm-hmm. So the lower the credit scores, generally speaking, the lower the tolerance for debt ratio, right? So 
if if you're a six twenty, you're probably not going to get approved above a forty five percent debt ratio. If you're seven twenty on an FHA transaction, if you're at seven twenty, you're likely to see it go above fifty. So there really isn't any any cap or restriction. Fifty percent debt to income ratio. Debt to income ratio. Yeah. And for income, is it gross or net that they that you calculate? That'd be gross. And that so, includes the new payment that they're going to have. That's too, correct. Right? Yeah. Okay, and then so, so let's just so you don't care what they make, really. You don't base the numbers off of their annual income so much as you do their monthly. Their current, yeah. Their, their monthly. So you so somebody that makes um, five thousand dollars a month, and based on their 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 information or the program they because the different programs will have different debt to income ratios sure. too, right? So say they're good for a fifty percent debt to income ratio, they make right. five thousand dollars a month. So before we deduct anything, any of their debts, fifty percent of five thousand is twenty five hundred dollars. Right, is their payment, and then you guys pull their credit. Yep. Any debts that show up on their credit. So we're not talking about utility bills. We're not talking about um, um, cost of groceries. Nope. Um, anything you know, cable bills, insurance bill. premiums, and things like that are exempt. Yeah. Yeah. Utilities. So you guys take that twenty five hundred dollars, and then you minus off monthly payments that show up on their credit report. Correct. correct? So you, generally speaking, student loans, auto loans, revolving credit card, installment debts. Um, for the most part, we exclude medical collections. Um, I don't want to get into the, to beat that part up, but um, and then any. HOAs or flood insurance premiums are also tacked into the, that total contribution. So it, you can you can take that number, 2500 and that's the, the, the max that we would allow with new payment and then their total of their, of their existing debts. So somebody that Based makes 5000 they're at a 50% debt-to-income ratio, so they, they their payment qual- qualifies for $2,500 minus monthly payments. So if their monthly payments of car payments, credit cards, any kind of installment debts, any of those things that show up on their credit report, if they equals $1,500 worth of payments, right. you take that off of the $2,500, now they qualify for a $1,000 a month payment. Correct. And then that equates into a purchase and price. And you That's only cor- look at what the monthly installment is, not the balance. So if it's a car and they owe you know, $60,000 yeah. on a car. Don't care. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Nope. It doesn't matter if they owe 10,000 or 60,000. You're looking at what the payment is. Correct. Okay. And same thing with student loans. They can have a hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Now the process for calculating the premium is a little bit different, which varies by loan program. But, um, the number, the amount of dollars owed on student loans is, is for the most part irrelevant, but it's how we base the, the payment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just seen month to month if you can afford this. That's correct. Um, yeah, because if they're, if for example, we come across a lot of people that have a bunch of student loans, but they have some program, government program that says that they're, they qualify for zero monthly payment. Does that mean that, that you calculate zero monthly payment? You you couldn't, in, in theory, on a conventional loan only. Okay, so if it's if it's income based, you can use that payment for calculating on a conventional loan. On an FHA loan, you have to use one percent of the balance. Okay, so if they owe fifty thousand dollars, and they're even if they're on a zero payment plan because of some government program, you have to calculate one percent of fifty thousand, which would be five hundred dollars a month. You'd hit them with five hundred dollars on their debt. Tank. On an FHA transaction. Now, on the contrary, if if you have twenty five, if you're making five thousand dollars a month and you're at a fifty percent debt to income ratio, that's twenty five hundred dollars, and they only have five hundred dollars in monthly payments. Yeah. Then it would be twenty five hundred minus five five hundred. You'd actually qualify for two thousand dollar. Correct. 
uh, payment right. for a mortgage, which equates to a much higher purchase price than a thousand. Probably so, around three hundred thousand sale price. Yeah. What about collections? What happens with collections? Um, for the most part, we don't care too much about them. Um, medical collections, we we don't calculate okay. at all. Okay. Um, which if, is like the most common too. That people it, have, it, it really is. Um, but it depends if it's a collection or a lien, right? Because if it's a liens lien, are completely different. Yeah, for they sure. They have to. They have to satisfy liens satisfy because you can't okay. record property in your name with mm-hmm. with a, a lien in front of it. Um, but with collections in general, there is a a factor that we use to calculate the payment based on it. If it's depending on the amount, so if you had a five thousand dollar collection that was from, you know, a, a credit card from you know, two years ago, mm-hmm. um, we would hit you with a presumed payment if you had to pay it back, assuming that they're going to collect on it. Um, but it also varies by by loan program also. So there isn't really one way to say, hey, it's always this way, it's always this way. They all vary by program. And so um, okay. y- y- it's hard to, some of these are hard to answer. Well, yeah, there's a lot of well. We want to. There's so many different ways. There, yeah. There's so many different ways, but we want to try to keep it as simple as, as as basic as possible. And then obviously, it's a case by case basis to get into the weeds with everything. But for the most, generally speaking, um, this is kind of how how that how that stuff goes. Um, so we have we've covered how they how you figure with the, out what the, mm-hmm. how much they qualify for is based on their debt to income ratio. Right. They have a down payment that they either come up with themselves or a program if their credit score is high enough. They right. can qualify for a program that will pay that. The last expense is closing costs. Right. Does, is there a program that will pay all their closing costs too? Not not all of them, generally speaking, but there are programs that will at least assist with closing costs. Um, it, it's hard to get all of it covered because they get a little expensive when you talk about programs. So you can get a portion of it paid for, but not all of it. So a program that so if if you're not using a program and you're buying a house for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, your closing costs would probably add up to around seventy five hundred to eight grand, Correct. right? And then if you're using a program and doing everything's the exact same except you're using a program, that same seventy five hundred or eight thousand closing costs probably turns into closer to like eleven thousand to two twelve thousand. It right? very well could, yeah. Right. So it's th- those programs are more expensive, and which makes it harder for the program to cover those. Correct. So then, where do, where would a buyer get? Uh, how would a buyer get in with nothing out of pocket um, if you have to account for that closing cost? Where it, do they get the money for that? It, it could be um, a, a very willing seller, which is primarily what what happens, right? So you you find a home that's probably been on the market for a little longer, three weeks, four weeks. You guys tell me, um, and then ask the seller to contribute to either a portion of the closing cost or all the closing cost. Um, and it really just depends on, you know, how, how you guys work out those, those offers and you know, when you need to do it or not, but I usually try to work backwards and get some kind of commitment from the buyer and whatever the number is, whether it's a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks or 5,000 bucks work backwards. And then you, you only ask what you need because right. it's going to be a lot easier to get your offer accepted. Right. And, and, and look, it's a home purchase, right. And it's, and it's a huge opportunity for you. So if you have to like scrape, scrounge, you know, work a little bit more, come up with as much as you can because it's going to help you. It's going to help your deal get accepted and it's going to help you in the long run. So um, do what you can to to contribute to it for sure. So Sarah, 
um, you doing a lot of business um, in the area, how how often do you get an offer accepted where the seller is contributing to a closing cost? Quite a bit. On a percentage. So out of 10 transactions, how many have a seller contribution? Gosh, I don't know. Just I feel like it's 80%. I don't know. Maybe is that too high? I kind it of depends what price range you're in. Okay. Right. Talking lower price ranges, yeah. those buyers are typically going to be first-time home buyers or sometimes first-time home buyers, and they probably don't have enough money for their down and for their closing costs. So under two fifty. Oh yeah, I would. Two twenty-five. Yeah. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten under two fifty. Under two fifty. And once you get to like the three, four, five hundred thousand, it's it's actually less common. Correct. Yeah, but most of the time those people are selling homes; they have their own funds. But this is what's funny too, like. You know, sometimes we'll make an offer on something or I'll have a listing, we'll get offers. And then you start really working on them. They ask for closing costs, but when it really comes down to the end, if there's multiple offers, sometimes they can pay their own closing costs. A little bit of it anyway. They don't want to. Sometimes they want to retain their cash. Sure. There's a lot to do to the home when they get in. Right. I would would say, and then Sarah can either, I'd like to get her input on this. I'd say when when you're probably, you know, high 200s to 300 and above, probably half or less than half of those buyers are probably getting their closing costs paid for. Whereas if you're in the lower, under 250, mm-hmm. you're pr- it's probably closer to like that 80% like you're talking where you get at least some, you know, a portion of the closing costs paid for. Right. I would say that it'd be a lot more common to get mm-hmm. closing costs paid for in a transaction on the lower priced homes. Would you, is that your experience, Sarah? Mm-hmm. Pretty close to that? Yeah. He must not have been listening when you just said that like five minutes ago, huh? I know. Well, I was just recapping. (laughs) Speaking of recap, I've been staring at your shirt now for at least 45 minutes. All I want to do is play checkers on it. Why is that? Because I have style, dude. Or am I actually, actually, I want to have a picnic on it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a tablecloth? What are you wearing? You know, listen, 50 shades of gray. (laughs) I don't know that you'd understand. This is fashionable right here. My uh, my mom has a tablecloth just like that. So I'm glad you made it into a shirt. <laughs> okay. So home buying process. So we've kind of summed it up here. We have, it's not difficult. How quickly can you turn around a, a, a prequal from the time that somebody calls you? Say they call you, they submit their application the same day, they meet with you the same day. How quickly can those people be prequalified in theory? Less than an hour. Less than an hour. Okay. And there's nothing that you're going to tell Wes that he hasn't already heard. People are nervous. They are nervous. Oh, gosh, I don't want him to see. They're like, this is special. He's not judging. He won't retain it. He's not going to retain what your credit (laughs) score is. We talked about that. I probably used to retain it a little bit better, but I I really don't, and I don't care. Right. Okay. I've seen everything. Mm -hmm. So, Sarah, from the time I have my own uh, own problems, so I don't don't care about everybody else's. Yeah, they're probably great compared to me. So, Sarah, from the time that you get a buyer, Mm -hmm. a buyer calls you up, they're super motivated, Mm -hmm. you get them over to Wes, Wes pre-qualifies them the same day, when can they start looking at houses? Right away. Right away. When can they write an offer? So on same something? day. Right away. Same day. So literally, if somebody started at ten o'clock, they had a pre-qual by eleven. They could look at a property by one, sure. two. Okay. Absolutely. So that seems pretty. That seems a lot simpler than I think most people realize. And it's so important because it's the first step. We can look at property without a pre-qual, but we have no idea. We can't write an offer. Because the first thing the listing agent's going to ask for is the prequal letter from your lender 
We don't right. have one. So you're wasting time. And what happens is sometimes people want to look at property and, oh, when would they find one? Then they want to get pre-qualified. But it's, if it's a good property, you gotta it get might going. be gone by yeah. the time you get your pre-qual done. So it's, it's important to have that letter in hand. You know you're ready. You know what price range you're, you should be looking in. You know what your payment's going to be. You know right. all the parts of the puzzle. just makes it much easier. Right. Yeah, and it and makes. We get it. It's painful dealing with Wes. We get it. <laughs> Specifically, Wes. It's painful, but it's worth the pain. But the outcome is just right. so so blessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. So I think that anything else that you guys want to add with um, anything else you guys want to add with the the home buying process to no, oh, just I just think that even, sorry Wes, but even if you don't qualify, Wes can help you, or a lender can help you to make the decisions and take the steps to qualify, right, Wes? Exactly. Don't listen. Please, please, please don't listen to, like, your family members and your coworkers. Only listen to a lender Mm -hmm. on what to do with your specific credit situation because they're all different. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could do do it wrong and actually hurt yourself. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if I, I think that if you're within 50 points of where you think you should be, it's worth talking to a lender because you may you have a system, you have a rapid rescore system where you can actually type in the numbers and say, okay, you're not there right now, but if you pay off, if you put five hundred dollars towards this and and uh, maybe that's it, or a thousand dollars towards that, it'll bump your score up to this. Then you'll qualify, and then they can turn around and do that the same day, sure. hand over paperwork showing you that they did it. You can do a rapid rescore by the end of the week. You can have them pre-qualified and their scores where they need to be. That's feasible. Yeah. You could do that. That's good. That's encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. So even if you're if you're anything close to where you need to be, talk to a lender. If I was talking to my brother or my sister right now, if you're close, talk to a lender yep. so that you can know exactly where you're at. Even if you're not close, talk to a lender. Anyway, yeah, right. that's a good point. Right. Do. That's right. a good point. Yeah, that is a good point. Just it's 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 either going to be a pre-approved a pre-qual letter or it's going to be a game plan. Could be direction. Right. Yep. Right. So. Excellent. Awesome. Well, I think this was pretty informational, a lot of information for buyers. But um, so, And also, don't forget, coming up, so on our uh, future topics, we have uh, uh, an appraiser in, in one podcast, and then we have a solar in another coming up. Is that accurate? That is correct. So okay. next week, Sarah isn't going to be available. She's got some uh, some prior... Uh, what? You, you have, she's you have she's, gonna, going she's on actually going to go do her DNA testing and then come back and show us what... <laughs> Oh yeah, because I'm desperate to be related to you guys. You are, Sarah. Yeah, I can I'm not feel it. Up until my I'm related. my family history is from England too, so um, I'm not related to either one of you. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet money you are. I bet I'm not. We don't feel so so sorry for you. Yeah. How do they get a hold of you, Webb? Did you figure out your Instagram handle yet? Yep, Kelly, Christopher Webb Keller Williams Realty. If you just type that in, you're good. You'll find it. And what sure. about you, Sarah? Sarah Catalina Realtor. Either Insta or Facebook. And mine is my website, westcover.com, or Instagram, west underscore cover. Awesomeness. Sounds good. Real Estate Raw. We will see you guys next week. Bye.